Well, having prayed that God would speak, let me invite you to turn to where He speaks, to His Word. So we're looking uh, this morning at Romans chapter 4, and we are in the section beginning in verse 9 and going to verse 12. Romans chapter 4, beginning at verse 9. Often before I preach, I pray that God would speak. We've already prayed that as we sung. So our prayer this morning is that God would speak. Many of you will know that around this time it's Reformation, Reformation Sunday, often celebrated either before or after, October 31st. And of course, as we have uh, spoken the creed, as we've remembered historic Christianity a couple of times already this morning, the Reformation is all about a recovery of God's Word and the authority of God's Word. And so when we say, speak, O Lord, and we say it before God's Word is preached, What we are declaring is that we believe that the primary place that God will address us is through His Word. So let's turn then to His Word together. Speak, O Lord. Now the passage we're studying this morning is from verse 9 to verse 12, but let me remind you of the context. So I'm going to begin reading in verse 1, make a few comments as we go through. And then we'll get to uh, verse 9. So beginning at verse 1, what then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, discovered in this matter? Of course, what Paul is referring to is the matter under discussion, namely, how is it that we can have a right standing before God? And his answer has been, through faith, not through the works of the law. Well, the natural question is, well, what does the Old Testament say about that? In particular, what does uh, the life of Abraham uh, indicate uh, with regard to that subject, that topic? So what does Abraham say about this? Then he carries on, verse 2. If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. Of course, if someone truly is justified, they're righteous before God by what they have attained in their own moral efforts, then that will be something about which to be proud, even though no one can be proud before God. He carries on, verse 3. But what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him, it was credited to him as righteousness. It's a famous text, Genesis 15, verse 6. And he uses this as the key text to understand the life of Abraham. No, it was through faith, says Paul. Now, verse 4, he does this contrast. Now, when a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as what is his due or as an obligation. So, if you're just working and then you get something, it is your due. It is what is your obligation. It is your right. However, to the man who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the wicked. This amazing statement that we trust the God who can justify the wicked, even wicked people like you and I. His faith is counted as righteousness. In other words, there's a contrast here, what we call a juxtaposition of Paul's argument, that if it is not by works, then it is by faith, then it is by faith, then it cannot be by works, that we stand right before God, truly and solely through faith in God, who even justifies the wicked. It's an amazing thing to claim. And so Paul brings in another illustration from the Old Testament that we looked at last week, great King David. 
this rock star, this author of the Psalms, this great general, this magisterial political leader, great King David. What does he say? Well, verse 6, he says the same thing. Similarly, he speaks when he speaks the blessing of the one whom God credits righteous, counts righteous apart from works. And Paul quotes from this penitential psalm, this repentance psalm, Psalm 32, like this, Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed are the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him. In other words, we saw last week, the primary blessing above all blessings is not the blessing of material prosperity. It is not the blessing of success in the eyes of our peers or in the media. It is not emotional, relational blessing. The primary blessing above all blessings is what God counts as the right life, as the best life, both now and forever, is the person who has not had his sins counted against him. Now, how does that happen? It happens through faith. Now we come to our passage, uh, verse 9. He picks up this key idea of blessing, and he says this, "'Is this blessing then only for the circumcised?' Or also for the uncircumcised. We say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. He's reminding them of his argument. Faith is counted to Abraham as righteousness. Well then, how was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. Why was this? Paul explains. The purpose, the reason why, the purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. And to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith, a key phrase that will be one we'll consider at large this morning, the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Now let me um, begin by just explaining to you why this is important. We look at a passage like this that speaks about circumcision. It's easy for us to think of it as something that seems so old-fashioned or so strange or circumcision is almost a snigger word, isn't it? And, you know, every man in the room crosses his legs. And uh, so why are we thinking about this these verses in, in, in church, is it, is it just because we have the tradition whereby we go through the Bible and other churches do it a different way, or is it because we believe that God speaks through His Word? So when we come to a passage like this that seems strange, that seems irrelevant, we come with a presupposition, with a prior conviction that God speaks through His Word to the prominent, most important needs of our day right here, right now, through this Word. And how does He do that? Well, let me explain. I think this, uh, this passage, these few verses, are actually some of the most relevant verses for the political scene, for the global scene in our world today. Isn't the great question that is reverberating throughout our world, who truly 
is the inheritor of Abraham's blessing. And so when we uh, read the news and we watch newscasts of one kind or another, we hear about what happened just recently in Ottawa. What is the great hope for peace in our world? What can truly bring about a reconciliation between this person and that person, between this nation and that nation? And in some ways, they were going through the same sort of thing in the city of Rome, the church of Rome with Jews and Gentiles. Is it purely an ethnic blessing? That is, is it by circumcision, which is God's sign and seal to the people of Israel, the ethnic people of Israel, which now we see fulfilled through the sign and seal of baptism? Or is it something more? Was that always originally intended to speak of something more? Did it have a larger purpose, a bigger purpose? There was a blessing actually, as was announced to Abraham, for all nations. And Paul's saying to the Romans and to us that the true blessing that was given to Abraham is actually through faith, through faith in Jesus. And therefore, what could be more relevant? The great hope for our world today, as in any day, is to understand that God's blessing to Abraham is not an ethnic blessing. It is not a blessing that comes through certain rituals or rules or regulations, five pillars, but is through faith in the God-man Jesus Christ. This is true religion. Faith in Christ. As I say, it could not be a more relevant word Paul's argument is simply to think through what came first and what came afterwards. First was the blessing given to Abraham through faith. Afterwards came circumcision, a sign, a seal, a confirmation, an affirmation, a guarantor, a statement, a reminder, a sign, a seal of the blessing that came through faith. What came first? What came afterwards? And therefore, always through faith, as now fulfilled in Jesus, the righteous one, through whom we might be righteous with his righteousness. And then right at the end of this argument, there's this little phrase that I want us to think about because it is the application of what Paul is saying at the end of verse 12. If you look down with me at your Bibles. You'll see there that Paul says this. For those who also follow in, walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. The footsteps of faith. And so throughout this passage, Paul is using the life of Abraham as an example, as an illustration, as an archetype, as a matrix of what it truly means to walk by faith in Jesus. And here he says this little phrase, the footsteps of faith. A very appropriate description of Abraham because, of course, he was a nomad who wandered, who left Ur, and wandered through the promised land. These footsteps of faith. 
And I want us then this morning, as I think Paul is encouraging us to do, to think through this faith in Jesus, the fulfillment of the Old Testament promise given to Abraham, completed in Jesus Christ, our righteousness through faith, to think of that faith as what he is describing here as the footsteps of faith in these three ways. First steps, next steps, and final steps or persevering steps. It's a little like that uh, Lord of the Rings movie where there's a movement, a journey from one place to another, or the more recent Hobbits, which for some strange reason was split into three movies. I have no idea why. It's a very short book, I can tell you. This journey, these footsteps of faith. First step, next step, final step, first step. And so as you think of the life of Abraham, he left, he was called by God to leave, to leave a life of sin, to leave Ur, this pagan worship of gods, to follow God, the living God, to trust, to leave, to trust the Word of God. He believed God, not just the Word, but the God behind the Word, the faithfulness of God that guarantees the faithfulness of Scripture. And so as we remember this morning that God's Word is faithful, what we're really saying is that God behind His Word is the faithful God, and therefore we can trust His Word. He trusted His Word. He trusted the God behind His Word. He heard the Word and trusted God. He believed God, the living God. He left. He trusted, but not something passive. He actually committed. He actually did leave. To actually walk with God means to take a first step with God. So in a congregation like this, this morning, there will be some who have never taken a first step. I want to encourage you this morning to do so. To take that first step step. I remember when I did, I was eight years old, which was only about ten years or so ago, and I was at a youth camp. My father is a, uh, was, he's retired now, but was a principal of a school. He was a teacher, and he used to help out in the summers at a youth camp for teenagers, and they had uh, a meeting that evening where the gospel was going to be preached. It was called The Way Talk. That's their description of it, the way. I didn't know that at eight, but it was the way talk. It was a call for commitment to make a first step. And I was eight, and I was being put to bed, and the meeting was taking place later, but I wanted to be at the meeting, so I sneaked out of bed and sneaked into the back row. My first step of faith was disobedience. <laughs> I left Ur and went to the meeting. I sat at the back and I listened to this man called Clive Sampson. Uh, he was a remarkable character. He used to do magic tricks in his spare time. And so he could have captured the audience of these teenagers and he was preaching the gospel. And he called for a commitment for a first step. And I took that first step. Now have you? Have you actually left sin trusted the God behind the Word, and committed taking a first step. There'll be some here this morning who have not. Would you do so? 
What could possibly be more important than doing this? There'll be others here this morning who know the Bible reasonably well, grew up in a Christian home, know the creed, can recite the Lord's Prayer reasonably well without having to refer to the bulletin, the worship folder. And yet perhaps actually you have not taken that first step. Now would you do so as well this morning? What could possibly be more important a first step. Next steps. First step, next steps. Well, as you think of the life of Abraham, these footsteps of faith, you realize that Abraham is quite different from the way we often portray him, isn't he? Abraham is an iconic figure. He is often portrayed in our minds as this sort of perfect example of morality. And then you read Genesis. And you realize he made a number of fairly major mistakes. There was Hagar that issued in Ishmael. There was uh, his deception about Sarah, his, his wife that he called his sister because he was filled with anxiety about whether God would really protect them to Pharaoh. And then again to Avimelech later in the story. Abraham was by no means a perfect man And I find that deeply encouraging. See, often we think of the Christian life, we think of it in a sort of stained glass window way, where everyone is perfect and everyone is moral, and if you're not, then you've failed and that's it. And here's Abraham, and he's in the Bible. (laughs) He's in the Bible as an example of faith. So I want to encourage you this morning to take a next step. Abraham had to do that with uh, his family to gradually figure out what it meant to have God at the center of his family, to, in our context, to have Scripture read around the dinner table, to lead in devotions as the head of your household perhaps, to trust God as you try to relate to your husband or your wife, to forgive one another as you've been forgiven, to harbor no bitter thoughts but have sweetness inside that will result in sweetness in relationship, to have God at the center of your family. Abraham had to learn how to do that. He had to learn how to have God at the center of his leadership with all his employees, his staff, his business as a significant figure in the ancient world relating to other significant figures, how to lead in a way with Lot, his nephew, that was going to honor God. Maybe that you need to take a next step, that actually you've done something wrong, it hasn't been quite right according to God's Word, and yet you need to pick yourself up off the ground and this morning take a next step. In family, putting God at the heart of your family, in leadership, in your business. I was told just uh, this last week, reminded of a story of a businessman uh, down in the south of the United States who at one point in his business enterprise, he got together the other partners in the business and they decided to commit their whole business to God. And what they meant by that was they were going to give all the profits of this business to the work of God. They committed together to do that, to just receive a salary, but all the business was given to God. 
That's quite a remarkable thing to do, and perhaps not everyone can do that. But when that businessman made that step of commitment, the blessing from God was just extraordinary. And that doesn't mean a quid pro quo. If you do this for God, he'll give you a successful business. (laughs) But it does mean that as you trust God, as you take a next step, you're aligning yourself with the footsteps of faith, issue and trust in Jesus, this land of the new heaven and the new earth, you're a pilgrim on that way. You're in the center of God's true blessing. And so I want to encourage you, business leaders, to take a next step of faith, even with your pocketbook, even in your family. Perhaps it means something more practical for us as a church to take a next step, to join a small group or Perhaps it means uh, to learn how to teach the Bible. We have various uh, structures in place, the men and women are getting together to teach each other how to teach the Bible. Maybe you're thinking, I cannot at home lead my family in understanding the Bible. Well, we have resources for that. Get involved in one of them. Perhaps it means going to one of the equipped classes. Perhaps it means going to threefold, the 20s and 30s group. Perhaps it means telling someone else about Jesus. As a staff team, just recently, we had a new accountability whereby we call it go fishing. We ask each other, what is the pool in which we are fishing for those who don't know Jesus? Who are the non-Christians that we know? Who are we talking to about Jesus? We keep each other accountable to be telling other people about Jesus. Perhaps the next step for you is to tell someone about Jesus. Next steps. First step, next step. Final steps. Now, when I say final steps, I don't just mean the, um, the end of life or the very last step that someone might make, though I do include that. I mean the whole sense of perseverance that you sense in these footsteps of faith of Abraham. Think of his life. Think of how he had to pass the test with Isaac and how he figured in his own mind that God was the kind of God who was almighty and sovereign and would keep his promise even if it was not in the way that Abraham thought he was going to keep that promise. It was a persevering step of faith. Or in some ways, at least as remarkably, if not even more remarkable, after burying his dear wife Sarah, Abraham keeps on going with faith. And the Bible describes how he died an old man full of years. It's very easy, isn't it, for those of us in the middle of life in our 40s or 50s to look back and see how we've trusted God for a number of different things and then get to the point whereby we're surrounded by so many responsibilities that it is easy for the cares of this world to begin to squeeze out the devotion and the life and the power of faith. I want to encourage you to persevere, to end well as you started well. And perhaps that means not a radical new commitment with your family or your business. Perhaps it means simply keeping on going, (laughs) to persevere, to not give up, to never, 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 never give up, as Churchill said.
final persevering steps. First step, next steps, final steps. I do include in final steps those who perhaps are coming towards the end of their life. And when I say that, I include us all, for we do not know, do we? I've been preaching now from pulpits for about 20 years or so, and I've become increasingly conscious. You you just cannot miss this as you preach, that you are preaching as a dying man to dying people. Because you preach for a few years, and then you notice that the person you used to preach to is no longer there, not because they've joined another church, (laughs) but because they've taken that final step and they're now in the presence of God, you, you, you trust. There'll be people here who are listening on the radio right now who are in this room at this precise moment listening to these words who in a few weeks, a month or so, will be standing in the presence of the living God having taken that final step of faith. And I want to encourage you to finish well. You have no idea how many young people are watching you as you come towards the end of your life saying, could I keep going through that? Could I keep going through that cancer or that disability or that significant, serious suffering? Could I do it? Finish well as you began well. First step, next steps, persevering, and final steps. Now, as I was thinking about this sermon, I was thinking through what would be a good illustration to end it, and I thought of various stories I could tell. In the end, as I was considering this, it occurred to me that the greatest illustration was not just the one that Paul was using with relation to Abraham, the illustration, the example, the archetype of faith that he's using throughout this chapter 4, but indeed a greater one to whom Abraham and about which Abraham speaks. And there is Jesus, and he's on the road to Emmaus with his disciples. And he's walking with them in those footsteps of faith. And he opens the Scriptures and shows how all of them point to him, that true spirituality is all about him. And their hearts burn within them. You take these footsteps of faith following in the path of the Lord Jesus Christ. You take a first step, a next step, persevering steps. Let's pray together. Jesus, you are Lord, creation's voice proclaims it, there is this general revelation all around us, your word specifically proclaims it. We pray for our world today wrestling with the issue of 
What is true religion? With authorities seeking to suppress all religions in fear that religion is the cause of war and anger and terror. We pray that peace would reign in this country. There would be freedom to proclaim your gospel. We pray that there will be an understanding that true spirituality, authentic faith, is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you do that in our day and in our age, Jesus? Would you show that to your church, your people? Would you draw many to bow the knee before Jesus as Lord? Would you call some today to take a first step? Would you cause others to take next steps, to pick themselves off up off the ground by your own power and the power of your spirit to take a step towards you in family, in leadership, in their business? Would you, by that same power of your spirit, cause all of us to persevere for the promise, the new heaven, the new earth, the home of righteousness, glory upon glory, where we shall see you face to face. Help us to walk in the footsteps of faith. In Jesus' name.